0: and Psalm 100 <coughs> Excuse me Psalm 100 Thank you. Lord. It was my intention which the Lord seems to always correct to preach solely from one verse out of this psalm in light of I was celebrating Thanksgiving yet the more I examined this chapter the more I found my lo- myself lost in wonder love and praise I know that we could probably never imagine the magnitude of joy and reverence and fear that Moses felt when he asked the Lord to reveal himself and God showed merely his backside whereby halfway through that Moses fell on his face and said it's enough I can't can't stand anymore. I believe that in some measure every true child of God must have some time in their life if not more than once at least a little bit of that experience. When you read the word of God and God begins to manifest himself in his word and like Moses, you're overwhelmed with reverence and worship and joy and fear. If you haven't, I pray that one day you would. For it is such, the Lord says in Isaiah, that he dwells with the high and lofty one, with those who have a contrite spirit and trembleth at his word. As I grow older in age, as well as Christian, I find myself, like I've mentioned before, Understanding that I know less of God than I ever knew. And He just seems to be getting bigger and greater and more glorious and more mysterious than ever. And I pray that this morning the Lord would bow down His ear to us and bless us with His word as we seek To understand something which I believe is greatly missing amongst many of God's people today. Even though they call it worship. I fear it's far from what the Bible describes to be true biblical worship. And yet I believe that worshiping God is one of the most sacred and holy things a child of God can do. And to believe that we can of our own fancies and imaginations worship Him after our liking and after what we desire is to misunderstand true worship from the very beginning. To offer unto God who is infinitely wise and holy and sovereign whose presence is everywhere at one time, who created the heavens and the earth, to offer unto Him a praise worthy of His name from such finite creatures as ourselves is a most impossible thing. And yet man through the ages has attempted to do so. And I pray this morning that God would just give us Merely a glimpse, if at all possible, of what He demands of His people to worship Him. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. I want you to know that the Lord in this verse is Jehovah, God is Elohim. Know that the sovereign God is your covenant God. Amazing, amazing. The psalmist says, know that. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. We won't make it this far this morning, but I want you to notice the psalmist says, Don't go in expecting Thanksgiving, go in, enter in with. We should have been entering in this morning already with Thanksgiving, not coming to give thanksgiving, already entering in with Thanksgiving. We so often worship services are selfish. People come only to have their selves pleased, the emotions satisfied, their spirits lifted. Nothing about God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. What an amazing psalm. Getting ahead of myself, but it's the only psalm that bears the title A Psalm of praise or thanksgiving. Though we're throughout the Psalms encouraged and exhorted to sing praise to God, Psalm 100 is the only one that has the title, a psalm of praise or thanksgiving. And it's quite amazing that even the word praise, the word contentment, is a part of that word. After our last few weeks of preaching on divine contentment, praise is contentment. As well, The Psalms have always been an immeasurable source of the greatest comfort, hope, and encouragement for God's people down through the ages. Especially in times of the greatest persecution, sorrows, and afflictions. There lies hidden within the Psalms. I say hidden because everyone can read the Psalms. But only God's people can find the hidden treasures. There lies hidden within the Psalms a balm for every wounded and broken heart. A divine song which lifts the most troubled and fearful soul from the deepest despair and sadness. Setting their feet upon a rock and establishing their goings, the psalmist said. Putting a new song In their mouth even praise unto their God. It's amazing how comforting the Psalms can be to God's children. Spurgeon called his commentary on the Psalms the treasury of David. Yet truth be told, they are the treasury of every true child of God, not merely of David. There are treasures as God's people. Few books reveal the very heart and soul of man. Few books we can read where we can identify with the writer. When he pours his heart out to God. When like in our psalm we read this morning with the brother, when our hearts and our souls are afflicted, that we can come before God. And yet few books reveal unto us the tender mercy and grace of God like that of psalm. For all those who have truly acquainted themselves by meditation and prayer with the Psalms in times of great delight, as well as in times of great sorrow, they have never found themselves wanting when they emerged from these sacred pages. Never. But have always, but have always come away with a new song. One they never knew before with a distinct melody and tone in their hearts that God had taught them. A song which has greatly refreshed and quickened both their hearts and their minds. From the 23rd Psalm where the true believer is assured to have no wants. The Lord Himself being their shepherd who makes them to lie down in the green pastures of His Word who leads them beside the still waters of the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit, who restoreth their soul when they're weak and weary, who leads them in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, who though He walks through the valley of the shadow of death, He fears no evil, for His shepherd is with Him, who is assured that goodness and mercy shall follow Him all the days of His life, and He shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." From that blessed psalm to the 46th psalm where he is assured that God is his refuge and his strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore he will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling of He is still and knows that he is God. The Lord of hosts. Is with him. The God of Jacob is his refuge, Selah. There is within the Psalms a divine and blessed balm for every occasion and circumstance God's people may face in this present life, and a solid and sure hope and assurance of an eternal home. Where psalm says, don't look to the world for God is your portion. That verse has amazed me all my life, continues to do. God is my portion. The psalmist said, he's my portion. Mm. They continually direct our hearts and our minds away from ourselves. And to God and his glorious promises and perfections. Which leads us this morning to this glorious Psalm 100. Otherwise known of our forefathers as the Old 100th, they were known to say, Let us sing the Old 100th. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, Jehovah, all ye lands or all the earth. Again, I wish to assure you that I stand not before you this morning as one who has apprehended fully this divine subject of praise and thanksgiving to God. For though I have been attempting, and I do not say that word lightly, though I have been attempting to sing his praise over 40 years now, In many ways, I've only begun to understand the great significance and immeasurable blessings which accompany true praise. I feel I've only scratched the surface. How can I praise? How can I give praise unto such an almighty God in a way that satisfies and glorifies his name when I am but a finite and often sinful creature? For though God's word declares that He has perfected praise out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, that is, as our strength is made perfect, or His strength is made perfect in weakness, so too, dear beloved, our praises to God are made glorious when we are weakest in ourselves. He's perfected praise out of the mouth of babes and sucklings when we are at our weakest. Then our praises are more glorious to God, if man would enter into his courts not with praise but with pride, not with humility and contrite spirit, not trembling his word but with arrogance and self-confidence. Yet like all things in the Christian life, though our praises of God be from a heart of a babe and suckling and must continue. To be so yet a strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil hebrews chapter 5 so too dearly beloved in our praises to god we must not remain children in understanding but men As in all aspects of our Christian life, we grow, so too our praise must grow. When I was first converted, all fly away did abundance for me. But it only took me so far. And it wasn't very far at all. Until I ran into a hymn like Martin Luther's. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Or when we meet trials and afflictions in our lives, it's not those upbeat songs that appeal to the flesh, but those that remind us of God that encourages us and strengthens us. That's why I love singing the Psalms. Men's words cannot bring praise and glory to God more than His own word. So when we sing Psalms, I think we're getting very close to praising God the way He desires. It's His own word. Nothing glorifies God more than His own word. That's why John Owens even said when you pray, let your prayers echo the Word of God, because nothing glorifies God more than His own word. So let your prayers be full with the precious word of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. And an amazing thing as you grow as a Christian when you first was saved you sang the hymns and they were kind of nice they were good to you you liked them but as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hymns begin to take on a different aspect you begin to understand understand what you're singing about and it makes sense to you God will not be worshipped or praised in ignorance Though we have much to learn of God nor according to the corrupt imaginations and fancies of sinful man. Our Lord told the woman at the well, you worship, you know not what. They profess to be worshipping, but Christ said, you don't know what you're worshipping. The Athenians in the book of Acts. Paul said, you're ignorantly worshipping an unknown God. And beloved, I've... Fear that there are many today, even at this very moment, in churches around the world who are worshiping, they know not what, and an unknown God. They're singing the songs. Their flesh is satisfied and comfortable and stirred, yet the question of it is, is it God-glorifying? Is it glorifying to God? The mere outward acts or forms of worship do not testify to one's worshiping or praising God. But because God is a spirit, he told the woman at the well, they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in truth, you cannot separate worshiping God in spirit. From the truth. And there's only one uh, truth found amongst men. It's the word of God. And Like I said, as we grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3, so too, beloved, our songs of praise and thanksgiving to God must grow and mature also. Many Christians, and uh, I'd say professing Christians, remain babes in the Lord when it comes to worship because they can't get by the simplest, immature melodies, because their knowledge and understanding of God is imperfect. There's something about when you get into the Word of God and God begins to reveal Himself more in the Word of God. There's something about how uh, your longing to praise Him matures. You want to to sing songs and praises that are more God-glorifying. You find yourself less interested in yourself and more interested in God. He becomes now the object of praise and not me and my needs and my wants and my emotions and feelings, but He becomes the object of my praise. And as true contentment can only be learned by God Himself as we've learned over the last three weeks, so too it is God Himself who instructs us in singing praises to His name. Do you know that God instructs us how to sing? Do you know God is our tutor when it comes to singing praise? He'll teach us how to sing praises and that in every circumstance of life. When things are going well and we're on top of the mountain and we can sing praises to God with joyful hearts, He teaches us to sing in the lowest valley, in the deepest pit. When we're at the darkest night of our lives, God teaches us a song in the night. He learns us a song in the night. As Paul and Silas at midnight began singing praises, God teaches us in the midnight of our sorrows to sing praise. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm telling you, when we find ourselves in the darkest night of our lives, it's praise which lifts our souls out of that darkness into the light of His presence and gives us a new song, And sets our feet upon a rock and establishes our going. Learn how to sing to God in the night, in the midnights of our lives and our sorrows and our afflictions. That is a praise that glorifies God. By His divine providence and infinite wisdom, He teaches us in every situation and every circumstance in this present life to sing praises to His name. That's why Job 35 says he giveth songs in the night. You want to see the spiritual maturity of a believer? Can they sing praises to God in the night? The nightingale sings sweetest at night. The mockingbird is even better. He knows over 200 different melodies and sings at night. Oh, I'm telling you, the melodies are different. The songs are different. I'm telling you, as God puts us through different circumstances, situations in life, our praises change. We learn how to sing to God properly and right. We know when to sing a mighty fortress. And we know when to sing Psalm 100. We know when to sing, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, O Savior. We know and to see what a friend we have in Jesus. An amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God teaches us. Which leads us to Psalm 100. Forgive me for the long introduction, but I felt it necessary that we lay a foundation first. And I won't get much past Psalm 100 verse 1 this morning. So I pray that God would be gracious to us. This is the first stanza from which the following four verses must rise. Listen to me. Verse 1 is the very foundation upon everything in this psalm lies and is built. We have to catch verse 1 or all the following verses will not be of themselves sufficient. Amen? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, or all the earth. I want you to know, first of all, that there is a twofold command concerning this psalm as it calls us to worship and praise. And that's what it's doing it's calling us to worship and praise. First of all, it's calling the entire creation. Verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord Jehovah, all ye lands. It's a sovereign command, an inevitable decree unto all lands and uh, all the earth. To every creation, God calls and commands them to bring forth Him, His praise. But there's a second command, which we'll look at later and not this morning. There is a command, a sovereign call to corporate worship. Listen to me, to corporate worship. This psalm is not about an individual Christian praising God. It's about corporate worship. There's something about corporate worship, and I'm getting ahead of myself, and I won't get too far down this road. Well, I want to look into that later. But there's something about corporate worship that we need to have in order to praise God properly. And there's something in corporate worship that we need to have an exercise that benefits us, without which we lack Come before His presence. Corporate. It is He that made us and not we ourselves. Plural. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. It's a command to corporate worship. Two commands. Which I will only speak of the first because it is vitally important for us to Build all corporate worship, I believe, upon this first one. And I hope and pray that you'll hear what the Spirit saith to the church this morning. It's a command, a sovereign, and inevi- inevitable decree upon the entire creation. Make a, joyful, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, all the earth. You see how the first command is to all the earth? It's to everyone. It's to every creature. It's to everything. Though the psalmist speaks of the believers praising and thanking God in worship throughout this psalm, he would begin by declaring that the whole earth, all lands shall one day sing the praises of God to His glory. Why is this so important? Because I believe Christians nowadays have limited their praise to God. In other words, they limit it merely to God's people. They have not exalted God in their hearts and their minds where God deserves to be and where God is. And that is sovereign over all things. Over all things. The world should be hearing our praise as though He's the God of all things. Not just simply the God of the saints. He's the God of all things. And one day they shall all bow before God and they shall give Him praise. That's because our God is highly lifted up. And I fear this spirit of reverence has been lost amongst Christians. saints and sinners, angels as well as devils, principalities and power in heaven and on earth, the damned and the redeemed, all shall one day make a joyful noise. That's a shout. Make a joyful noise to the glory and praise of God. That's where we must begin our praises as corporate, as believers, that He is God. He is God. Not just our God. He is God. As Joshua, the children of Israel, marched around Jericho and on the seventh day, and after the seventh time, shouted, and the walls fell down. So it is with the church of God, the world should hear our shouts of praise. They should tremble at the shouts of God's people praising God. But we're cowering in the corners. So the psalmist begins by saying, no, in your hearts and your minds, before you bring praises into my gates, before you come into my presence, I want you to be reminded I'm just not merely your savior and your God. I am the God of creation and all, all things will fall down and worship me. All things will subject themselves to me and they will make a joyful noise. And I'm telling you, people say, well, no, the lost people are not going to make it. I'm telling you, it's going to be a joyful noise. That noise is shouting. They're going to be shouting the praises of God. By sovereign decree, by sovereign command, they're going to be shouting. All knee, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That's where we must have God in our hearts and our minds when we come to worship. Extremely exalted above all things. You know why Christians cower today in this world of fear and anxiety? Because they think too little of God. Their worship is puny and weak. We don't put God where, in our hearts and our minds where He belongs. And that's highly exalted above all things. All true praise and thanksgiving the believer brings to his God beloved must be founded, fixed, and inspired by this most glorious and divine truth. For our praises and our thanksgiving to God must have their inspiration from this great exaltation of God. This sounds carnal, and I hope you understand when I say this, but put God back where He belongs. He's never left, but in our hearts and our minds, He has Exalt Him. Be reminded that He is God. No matter what the world says, no matter what the world does, He is God. And they shall one day, one day bow before God. If we have that on our hearts and our minds when we praise God, when we go out into the world and we're uh, working amongst the sinners, whether it's family members or colleagues, we're going to live as though we serve an almighty God. And we're going to, we're going to portray that confidence and that faith in an almighty God before sinners. We're not going to be ashamed of the gospel nor of Christ. You don't know who you have to deal with. You're dealing with the Almighty God. But what we've done is we thought, well, no, He's just the God of Christians like the Israelites did. Oh, He's merely the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not the God of everyone. And so we limit that. And so uh, we bring dishonor to God. You exalt God in your hearts and your minds to the highest. And you watch how that affects your daily walk with Christ. Lift him up, dear beloved. Lift him up in your hearts and your minds. The prophet Isaiah, remember him in chapter 6? He said he saw the Lord sitting up on a throne. High, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And he fell as a dead man. Many people don't understand when they come to church and they begin to praise God, and I hope and pray over the next few weeks we'll learn from God's word about how we ought to praise God. They don't understand that praise and worship has a great effect upon our daily lives as Christians. And it does. We should be able to walk out of the house of God on Sunday in our hearts and our minds knowing that God is God. He's sovereign. And though the world rejects him now, and though the world denies him now, and though the world mocks him now, they shall one day bow at his throne, and they will make a joyful noise to our God. You know what kind of confidence and assurance that instills upon the believer as he faces everyday trials in life? The same prophet declared in in chapter 57 of Isaiah, For thus saith the High and Lofty One. See where he's at again? The High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity. What an amazing statement. Try to figure that one out. That inhabiteth eternity. He didn't create it, he just inhabiteth it. (gasps) Whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. There's where he's dwelling. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He dwells in the high and holy place with him also. That is what? Contrite and humble spirit. Did you see that? The majority of so-called praises today doesn't lift God high man is the center of the praise. His needs and his wants, his desires, are the center of praise. When Paul writes about the perilous times approaching us, which we are in and every generations believe they were in, you know what leads that whole list of perils? Men shall be lovers of themselves. Those perils are to be found in the church. Paul's not talking about the world. In the church, they shall be lovers of themselves. Most worship and praise in this day and age is for love of self, not of God. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, as God's people, feel the joys and the blessings as we'll find out later in the psalm of praising and worshiping God. But true joy and blessing doesn't come from me being satisfied and my feelings being tempered and pampered. It comes from exalting God, giving Him all the glory, exalting Him, reverencing Him. It is from this understanding of God being the high and lofty one, that it habits eternity, that all true praise must have its beginning. Otherwise, beloved, our praises fall far short of glorifying God to the utmost. Too often, like I said, our praises are limited to the confinement of God's people, to which we are later in this psalm encouraged. come before his presence with singing into his gates with thanksgiving praise thankful bless his name let me ask you a question is there anything in there about me not a word not a word come before him that you can be satisfied and pleased come before him that you can feel good and happy come before him no nothing in there about me it's all about God That's true worship. It's all about God. In fact, the only thing mentioned about us is is He that had made us and we are not ourselves. (sighs) We're His people. The sheep of His pasture. Everything centers in this psalm around God. Therefore, verse 1 begins with our putting God in the highest. Make a joyful noise Unto the Lord, all ye lands. One day all earth shall make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Without such humble acknowledgement of God's sovereignty above all things in heaven and on earth, beloved, we lose a vital part of all true worship and praise due unto God, namely reverence. That's basically what verse 1 is saying. Revere God in the highest before you even talk about entering His gates or His courts. Before He talks about coming before His presence, God says, In your heart and your mind, put me in your heart and your mind where I belong. High above all things. Every creature, principality and power, angel, demon, redeemed, damned. I'm high above all things. When we start there, then our praises can glorify God. But when we start with ourselves, they're too feeble and meager to even make it up into heaven. They're bowed down or weighed down by our selfishness and carnal desires. You start in heaven. And then it comes down to us. Showers of blessings. Raining upon us. Reverence. Psalm 89 said, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Corporate worship. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him congregation. Reverence and fear. There exists a great lack or absence of godly reverence and fear in what many consider to be worship. For it's not God's honor and glory they seek, nor his reverence in their worship, but their own carnal comforts and enjoyments. Their main goal in their praises and worship, is to satisfy their own emotional wants and desires. If they can't leave church saying, you know what? My foot wasn't stomping and my knee wasn't... If I don't leave feeling good about myself, that wasn't a worship service. It's never about yourself. Never has been, never will be about yourself. It's about God. If we can walk away from worship having a greater reverence for God, then we know what coming into His gates with praise and into His courts with thanksgiving means. Then we know what it is to enter into these gates. Then we know what it is to be His people and the sheep of His pasture. The psalmist in Psalm 23 took great comfort in the Lord being His shepherd. Did he not? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But His being His shepherd didn't nullify or disannul his being his Lord, which is Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. You you see the you see the wonderful combination there? The Lord, Jehovah. Yeah, he condescended to be a shepherd, but he never lost sight that he's Jehovah, Jehovah God. Christ is our Savior. Second Peter said, yet our Lord, which means supreme authority. He's our kinsman, yet our king. He's our good shepherd, John 11, John 10. Yet the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelations. You see the beautiful balance there. Do you see that? And I fear over the ages we've lost that balance. He's no more Jehovah God. He's no more the Lord. He's simply someone that meets my everyday needs and makes me feel good. He's not God anymore. Even John the Beloved, and I'll bring this to a close, even John the Beloved though he lay on his bosom. That sweet communion and fellowship with Christ. Yet when John seen him in his glory, in revelations, he fell as a dead man. you see the balance? We're encouraged to call him Abba Father in Romans. But he's still God. And when we come to worship him, We must begin at the very heights of heaven. There's where we begin. And then it comes down. (laughs) We don't begin with myself. Because if we begin with ourselves, we leave with ourselves. And you know what happens? Nothing. No lasting contentment, no lasting peace, no lasting joy. And therefore, with that, uh, the psalmist enters into corporate worship. Verse 2. Stay with me just a few minutes. Serve the Lord with gladness. See that? Serve the Lord with gladness. It's amazing what follows verse 1. After you've exalted him, he now says, now serve him with gladness. Who? This same Lord. Come before his presence with singing is amazing? What an invitation. I can't wait to look at this verse next week because it's an invitation. Listen to it. Come before His presence. That's a glorious invitation. But after verse 1, that holy and lofty and high God invites His people to come into His presence. There's a difference between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1, it's a sovereign constraining. Make a joyful noise. All ye lands... Verse 2 is a sovereign invitation. Come before the presence. You see the difference? What an amazing, glorious thought. The world will bow. They will be constrained by God's sovereignty to bow before God. And make a joyful noise. But we at this very moment as God's people, as his people, as the sheep of his pasture, we are invited by the eternal sovereign God of verse 1 to come into his presence. To come into the presence of God. With what? In corporate worship. There is a manner... In which God is glorified, and I want you to carry this thought over into next week. There is a manner in which God is glorified in corporate praise which cannot be found in any other. Listen to me. I say that again. There is a manner in which God is glorified in corporate praise which cannot be found in any other. Well, I've heard people at work say, "Ah, don't need to go to church. I can worship God at home. You can, but not corporately. Well, yeah, I don't need to. Yes, you do. Psalm 100, she's one. There's something about corporate worship when God's children are gathered together and their voices begin to sing praises in one melody one tone and they lift up their voices into heaven and God says yes yes there's something in that that glorifies God that you cannot glorify God any other place and also the richest blessings are upon those who partake which those who don't shall never know there's something not only that when we glorify God in corporate worship that glorifies him but in glorifying him God gives us rich blessings which cannot be found anywhere else But in corporate worship, it's amazing. Read scriptures, read Psalms. I'm telling you, it's amazing truth. It's a divine truth that I fear this this day and age of Christianity has gotten away from and they're losing blessings. And I'm telling you, God's not being glorified. Christians ain't being blessed. There's something about that. So with that said, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's corporate church. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. What a marvelous, marvelous invitation to worship God. May God grant us ever An ever-growing experience and knowledge and understanding of worshiping God. For when we worship God together and we put our voices together in praise and worship, when we go out into this world, we're strengthened by that. We're encouraged by that. And we are richly blessed by that. So continue praying for Psalm 100. I'd like to look further into it next week on the blessings of corporate worship, and it shows how we should worship God. Amen. Come before Him. Come before His presence. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, even though we have given much effort in seeking to preach Thy truths, Father Lord, I could never, never accomplish what only the Holy Spirit of God can. May you take your words and write them upon our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that we'd be encouraged and inspired by the words of the psalmist. And I pray that we'd be reminded as we go out this world, out this week into this world, which, Lord, at this moment, there's so much hectic, fear, anxiety, hatred, wars. It's perilous times. Lord, let us find strength and encouragement as we gather together as Thy people, as the sheep of Thy pasture. Lord, may we be encouraged by one another's prayers, encouraged by one another's singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraged by the preaching of Thy Word. And Lord, most of all, we pray that when we gather, You would be honored and glorified in all things. Lord, we pray You now bless Lord, as we prepare this fellowship, we pray that, Lord, you would bless our time together. May you be honored and glorified in all things. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.